Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes, we do. This week, Homeward Bounders by Diana Wynne-Jones. Diana Wynne-Jones. We are continuing on in our quest to become the preeminent Diana (laughs) Wynne-Jones podcast. This episode was a listener request. Thank you, Ramsey. Yeah. If anyone I loved this book. If anyone out there would like to make a request, you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the thick of things, Madeline, would you like to describe the way the publisher chose to package and promote our edition? Side note, this is not a book we've read before, so we do not have a copy, and it is out of print in the United States for some bizarre reason, because I think it's basically a perfect book. Yeah, I, I like... <laughs> Talk more about that. Wow. Um, so we read ebooks and... The cover of the ebook that we read is consistent with the covers of the Crestomancy series, um, which we do own. It is a painting by Paul Ozolinsky. Okay. Yeah. And um, it's it very much looks like the Crestomancy covers. And mm-hmm. I, I like it. It's very simple, um, but it's obviously hand-drawn in a pleasing way. Jamie looks older. He looks a little too old. Yeah. He looks like he has gone through puberty as opposed to like being in the thick of it. Because one of the truly heartbreaking things about this story is that he is just a 12-year-old Right. And then he becomes child. like an ancient child. Yeah. Um, so he, he looks older. He looks uh, more uh, put together than I'd imagined him. Like he kind of looks like a, a posh boy. He does. And, <laughs> and so this is the red outfit that he wears for most of the book. Yeah, but it but looks like a normal earth right, red outfit. It's stylized to look more like regular clothing as right. opposed to something bizarre he got at a carnival. Yeah, in an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the, he's going kind of, oh, at like making a little. <laughs> Street fighter move. Yeah. yeah. And he's alarmed by something. Maybe he's going through a boundary. There's some pyramid shapes uh, that are kind of reflective in the background. Triangles. Triangles, yes. And um, it has to do with the like reality and where is real and where isn't, where is the reflection. And then we've got some uh, of them in the background in their black full hooded robes and uh, surgical masks, maybe. <laughs> surgical masks. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. So yeah, and I, they could have made the them look scarier. They've, I agree. Yeah, they should look more like Dementors or Ringwraiths. Well, I appreciate the clear efforts to keep them vague because we never really do know much about what they look like because you can't really look at them directly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I like that piece of it, and I do like the color scheme. Um, yeah, no, like I mean, it's a and the pinks. And yeah, the it's an aesthetically pleasing cover, I think. Um, All of the paintings on by Paul Ozelinski, um are really beautiful. And the this this feels so similar to the Crestomancy series and the energy and the action being yeah. depicted are very similar to those books. And uh, what me and Grace were talking about before mm-hmm. we started recording is that there are some 
bonkers alternate covers out there that um, the book was definitely published with these covers, including I think my favorite one is probably this this one. It looks like a jacket illustration. So if you Mm -hmm. fold the jacket out all the way, you can see the full picture. And it's this ruined world uh, with a giant anchor and there's a pink fortress or tower um, in the background and then just a floating head of a sad boy with a bowl cut. (laughs) This is one of my favorite covers I've ever seen. It's wild. It's a, yeah, it's an experience. I highly recommend you Google Homeward Bounders and take a look at some of the other cover art out there. Yeah, look at it all. We'll put some of our favorites up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. So you can take a look there. There's also, yeah, some exquisite fan art depicting um, Jamie and Helen and... I don't Joris is how you probably Joris. pronounce his yeah. name. Joris. Yeah. Um, yeah. So absolutely highly recommend that you take a visual exploration into this world. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. If you haven't read this before or haven't picked it up in a while, I would very highly recommend that you go do so mm-hmm. before listening to this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This book was published in 1981. I hadn't mentioned that. Um, and I I don't know why it's out of print in the United States. Yeah, especially since it looks like there have been a lot of printings, mm-hmm. although those might not have been in the U.S. I found a Russian cover, too, that's pretty cool. Well, and I'm sure that this is a book that publishers didn't totally know how to market. Yeah. Um, I was inspired by... Our Wolf Tower episode, many readers shared, or many listeners shared their personal Wolf Tower covers, mm. and they were so wildly different in okay. style and tone and content. So maybe it's the publisher being like, <laughs> um, oh, like, if we market well, it this way, this. we'll sell more. And Wolf Tower had a completely different title in the United States, too, so there was clearly more going on there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, maybe it's just a Great British baking show, Great British Bake Off situation where Pillsbury has <laughs> trademarked the phrase bake off, so you can't use it. Who knows? Okay, so I have the enviable task of describing the plot. Yay. This book opens with a 12 year old boy named Jamie. He is hanging out uh, in the city where he lives with his family. It seems to be older times than what we're living in. Um, They don't have cars. Um, It's kind of a, it's not a medieval feeling town. It's not that far back. Feels Victorian. Yeah, yeah, feels Victorian. Um, In somewhere in England is the feel to me. They play football. (laughs) That's all I could say. and also probably just knowing the context of Diana Wynne Jones' typical book settings. That's yeah. what I assumed. Mm-hmm. He finds a mysterious fortress and he uh, creeps into the garden and looks inside and he sees shadowy figures playing a mysterious tabletop game with magical floating dice in the air. And there's clearly something going on. He can't quite see the edges of the place which they're in. It seems like there are reflections of different worlds kind of permeating this triangular room. 
and he is spotted. And they, as they're referred to, mm-hmm. they, them, uh, they have no other name, um, decide that he is going to need to be dispatched with. Um, so they call him a random factor and then tell him that he is now going to travel the bounds. Because he's cronked up their game. He is a homeward bounder, and he this means that he needs to travel from world to world, and each time one of them takes a new turn, that's the rule, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he is going to be pulled into another world. So or like when the turn ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is all to allow them to keep playing their game in the way that they would like to be playing it. They have a serious gaming addiction? Yeah. <laughs> it's beyond an addiction. Yeah. A desire to um, rend the fabric of reality. <laughs> Yeah, it made me feel better about my gaming addiction. <laughs> like, I've never played video games so bad that I took control of reality and made That's it into great. a video game. Yeah, you didn't um, create your own Prometheus. Yep, yep. <laughs> I think you're doing fine. Yeah, because it's obvious they're getting, like, kind of lazy about what they're telling their random factors or homeward bounders because it seems like they're telling different people different things. Agreed. So what they tell him is, you have we have no further use for you in play. You are free to walk the bounds as you please, but it will be against the rules for you to enter play in any world. To ensure you keep this rule, you will be transferred to another field of play every time a move ends in the field where you are. The rules also state that you are allowed to return home if you can. If you succeed in returning home, then you may enter play again in the normal matter. So he's basically been pulled out of... Not only his reality, but every reality, mm-hmm. all the parallel universes, all the alternate worlds. He can't really coexist with the other inhabitants. Mm-hmm. He is now a homeward bounder. Yeah. So he starts to travel through worlds. Um, some are a lot better than others. He remains in a world until he feels a pull to move on to the next, at which point he has to approach a boundary and he there are specific ones in each world that you need to use and the different bounds take you into different worlds but he can tell which one he's supposed to be going to from the pull that he feels Mm -hmm. which is all-encompassing very violent and overwhelming and the worlds are set up in kind of um interlapping circles Mm -hmm. where you can get stuck on a circuit and keep going back and forth along or just in one way along that circle of worlds if you don't if you miss the junction at which you can hop off into other infinite worlds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because there are many, many, many worlds. Uh, Jamie, by no means, has found them all, even by the end of the book. But he but does he starts get stuck out, in yeah. patterns. Mm-hmm. And the first pattern he's in, I think, is only three worlds. Yeah, it's um, not very fun. And they're not good ones. Um, they're very, like, the people living there have very rudimentary technology and capabilities, and they're mostly just herding cattle. Jamie manages to break out of that pattern of worlds he's stuck in by choosing a random bound. So that means that he's going through a boundary that isn't specifically the one he's being pulled to. Um, and he ends up in the ocean. But a very special world. A very special world. Uh, and a ghost ship saves him that is helmed by the Flying Dutchman. <laughs> 
and his very unhappy crew. Um, They've all given up on human comforts because they don't need them to survive. So they don't eat. They're covered in mold. They're dressed in barely anything, just bits of rags. Pretty rough stuff. Um, And this is where the concept of hope is first introduced and of losing versus holding on to hope. Mm -hmm. And the Flying Dutchman is the first of many to encourage Jamie to let go of any hope that he might have, mm-hmm. which is a recurring theme throughout the book and a fascinating one. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for a YA fantasy. Yeah. Um, so Jamie is taken to land so that he can try to continue on. And there he encounters a man who is chained to a rock. And a vulture is coming down to feast on his innards every so often. Um, he is never named, but he is Prometheus. The Prometheus analog, yeah. And he gives Jamie a little information about who he is, just saying that he upset them. And it's also his fault that mm-hmm. the game exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so he feels complicit in it. So he has a bit of a vibe of like, I should be here. This is what should be happening. And Jamie gives him drinks of water and spends some time with him and is then pulled away. Um, and Jamie mentally goes back to him again and again and is constantly thinking of, um, how disturbed he is Mm -hmm. by that encounter. Um, and he hates them more on that man's behalf than on yes, his own behalf. Yes, than on his own. So then he starts to uh, continue on. I mean, we get we get a passage that shows that a lot of time has passed. Yeah. Um, because he says by that point he's seen over 100 worlds. Mm-hmm. And he then ends up at a really terrifying world that is mostly fortresses and armored knights and anyone who isn't in a fortress is kind of fair game. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie has realized that homeward bounders can't die. Mm. Um, and the others in the worlds that the homeward bounders are in, they can't interfere with them is what he says. That yeah. doesn't mean they can't hurt them. Right. Um, but if they attempt to kill them or in some ways stop their journey and prevent them from moving on, they are killed. Yeah. Um, in like very seemingly random ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like a wagon suddenly running over a boy who robs Jamie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm laughing because it's horrible. Yeah. And Jamie is really upset by this. So he's trying to follow the rules so that he doesn't so cause like random deaths. Yeah. Um, so he ends up in this fortress world and there he meets Helen Harris Ukwara. I don't know any of these pronunciations. Disclaimer, yeah. as always, we don't know how to we say things. We tried really hard to find an audiobook. <laughs> At least I did. Yeah. There is not one. It doesn't one. exist. No. Um, And Helen is a brand new homeward bounder. She's been thrown out of the sort of temple slash university, the house of Ukar. Yeah. Um, And so she's trying to figure everything out. But at the same time, she has a lot more background information. She has a weird amount of knowledge. She knows a lot. Um, She just hasn't experienced it. And Helen is amazing. Oh, Um, gosh. I love Helen. (laughs) Love, love, love Helen. She lives behind her curtain of hair with only her nose protruding most of the time. She loves animals and insects and rats. And Yeah, she loves creepy animals. Creepy things. Yeah. 
Um, and, and they love she, her. And they love her too. And she's very gentle and tender with them. And she has a really special gift, she calls it, which is that one of her arms can transform into anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and she uses that to help her and Jamie out of a few jams. Mm-hmm. Helen and Jamie then encounter in a war-torn world. They're in, at this point, kind of a circle of worlds where uh, trench warfare is taking place, mm-hmm. it seems like. Yeah. Um, and they meet Joris, who is a an apprentice demon hunter. And he was, or still is, a slave to Constum, who is kind of this <laughs> godlike demon hunter figure and Joris loves him and Joris has a lot of useful tools that help them try to figure a few things out like he can sense where boundaries are with one of his machines Mm -hmm. Um, and he can sense demon energy and he starts to kind of help Helen realize that there is something about her arm that is part demon Mm -hmm. um or i should say part spirit because Mm -hmm. in the book humans are equal parts body and spirit and demons have more spirit than body Mm. yeah okay so the three of them start traveling together jamie has found that it's much more pleasant and um, just easier for survival's sake, uh, even though he can't die. But it makes things more interesting to have some companions. And he's also kind of alternately, um, he has a love-hate relationship with Helen, we'll put it that yeah. way. Um, because after all, the two of them are children yeah. and they're good at getting on each other's nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're traveling together and they arrive at a world that is really similar to uh, Jamie's home, mm-hmm. but it's not quite right. Um, so he figures like, Oh my gosh, I must be getting close. Um, so if I can keep going, I bet I'll get to my world soon. Mm-hmm. And there they link up with a little boy named Adam who tries to beat up Jamie and Joris. But instead, Joris stabs Jamie. Because he can't stab Adam. He that's, can't stab he Adam. He can't enter play. Yeah, because at this point, we can't have additional homeward bounders mm-hmm. added, right? There yeah. isn't room. Or no, there's room for only one more. So we'll, I'll talk more about that in a second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be um, too much for Joris to do that. It would be against the rules. So the knife kind of swerves and he Stabs slashes Jamie, Jamie instead. Um, so Adam uh, is he's disturbed by this and he decides to help them and takes them to his parents' house where they meet his sister Vanessa and Joris, Jamie, and Helen, by extension, although I don't think she's talking much at this point, no. um, decide to tell them everything. Yes. Because they saw a lot of what was happening to start with. They, when, we first, when they first met up with Adam in a field where he was playing cricket with his school, um, they met under a tree, a uh, another like known mythical figure, the wandering Jew. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was giving out a lot of information about the game that Adam was really confused by. Yeah. Um, And uh, intrigued. So yeah, he, he has a thirst for knowledge. He wants to know more. He also 
wants to become rich by selling his sister as a slave in another world. He's a cool kid. Yeah. <laughs> so he's motivated by self-interest, but he does yeah. help them. Yeah. Um, and yeah. once Vanessa comes in, she is much more nurturing. And each of them has like their own little therapy session with her, which yeah. is really funny. Yeah, I do love that. Um, I was like, well, the first woman has shown up and everyone is just, yeah, they just need to cry. Mom, me. <laughs> Nurture me. Yeah. Um, not that, yeah, because Helen is a child. She's still little. Right. Um, and Vanessa and Adam decide that they're going to try to beat the game, essentially beat them mm. by both entering play so that they can overload the game with too many homeward bounders mm -hmm. because they're like, maybe that can break down whatever structure is in place. Yes. But right before they do that, Constum shows up because he was looking for Joris. He leaps into uh, the hall of the home. Constum is actually really cool. Yeah. Um, I was expecting someone very annoying, but he's actually so lovely. Yeah, he's pretty great. Um, and Joris tells him that he's like become uncomfortable with the concept of being a slave, rightfully so now that he's had some distance from it. And Constant is like, well, no worries. Like I was already planning on freeing you as soon as I was legally allowed to. And I have a bank account for you and all this stuff. Yeah. So they start working together to, I'm sorry, this is taking a long no, time. No, no, it's, it needed to be. A I long think it summary. all needs to get out. Yeah. So they start figuring out how they can together defeat them because Constum recognizes that recognizes that they are demons mm -hmm. or some demon adjacent force. And so he's like, well, my God, this is my life's I work to demons. kill demons. Yeah. And I need to figure out how to do this. So they do what they can to put together the necessary demon hunting tools and weapons in this world where... As Adam puts it, demons exist, but we don't believe in them. So it's all right. <laughs> Just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you can see the demons in a world that is very similar to ours. And mm -hmm. the way that they manifest yeah. isn't going to be an actual creature. It's in many other bad ways. So uh, they have their weapons ready. And uh, Jamie, because this world is so similar to his, is able to find the fort or the version of the fort that's in this world. Mm -hmm. He's also noticed that there's something really familiar about Vanessa to him. And he sees a painting in their house of an older woman. First woman doctor, right? Yes. I, th I don't remember. Um, who is just, yeah, so familiar to him that mm -hmm. it's making him crazy. So, they get to the fort and they attempt to fight with them and everything goes awry. Yeah. Um, everyone is thrown apart into different worlds. Mm -hmm. And Jamie is on his own once again. Yeah. He is thrown back out into the garden of the same world that he's been in and hits his head on a statue with chains around it. Mm -hmm. And then he starts to um, kind of wander the streets and try to find his old haunts because the world is so similar mm -hmm. and he goes to where his school was and finds that it actually is his world yeah there's a note on this new expanded school that says formerly chert house <laughs> chert house yeah Diana and jones is so good at coming up with these like really funny um institution names yes. i feel like that 
all this school stuff reminded me so much of Witch Week. <laughs> but anyway, he then realizes that he is in his world, his own home. He made it back home, but it's about a hundred years later than when he left yeah. because time passes and funny ways when you're homeward bounding. And he has been in hundreds of worlds for who knows he said, how long. He said on average a year. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so he goes back to Vanessa and Adam's house to confirm with their parents that it is in fact, 1980, as we find mm-hmm. out, um, which is about 100 years after he uh, was living there. Yeah. And the woman in the portrait, who is so familiar, is his sister. Yeah. So Vanessa is his great, great niece. Yeah. <laughs> great grand niece. Grand niece. I, yeah. I can tell you right now, I'm really bad at knowing terms for familial, <laughs> extended familial relations. I, I, yeah, I can't absorb it for whatever reason. So Jamie's now an interesting figure because he did make it back home, mm-hmm. which means that he should be released from the game and able to reenter play. Mm-hmm. But he realizes that that's not actually possible because it's a completely different time to the extent that he doesn't even understand the world's rules. Right. It can't be home society. Mm -hmm. All of his family is long dead, even though Vanessa and Adam and their parents, yeah, are his family. Um, yet he could never feel at home there. So there's a kink in the system, Mm -hmm. you guys. Um, and what he does is wills himself, back to see Prometheus Mm -hmm. by traveling through the man, the statue with the chains. Mm -hmm. And there he discovers that he truly has lost all hope as so many have asked him to do. Mm -hmm. And because of this, he's able to free the other figure. Yeah. Um, He touches the anchor through which his chains run and it crumbles away. It rests and crumbles away. Mm -hmm. So the two of them then have, I'm sure much needed little lunch. Yeah. (laughs) Some nice fruit and water. Yeah. (laughs) And kind of touch Based on everything, it's a great conversation because Jamie's just saying, can you please just explain things a bit yeah. to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, the Prometheus figure is kind of breezing through um, and it's revealed that he figured out that you could concentrate reality in certain worlds mm-hmm. and in doing that, you could also remove reality from others. Mm-hmm. So he kind of shared this knowledge with them at some point and they said well we want you to do that and we want you to make us a hyper real place and mm-hmm. then the other worlds can all be our faded playthings, yeah and will allow us to come up with what they ultimately create as the game and he doesn't want to do that he's trying to travel and share the knowledge with others which he does with the house of ukar ukar the house of Ukar. And that's why Helen has so much of this knowledge about how the different realities and the bounds work. Um, so they chain him up and keep him there with the vulture to keep his hope alive. Um, 
because they need someone who is acting as what Jamie later calls an anchor for all the world, someone who has been through them and seen them and has memories of them so they can still exist, Mm -hmm. but isn't going to keep going through them and bringing reality back to them, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I'm struggling a little bit. Well, I think you're doing it. I mean, job. I I understand the book. It is hard to um, relate. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, "Hey, let's just let's do this. Let's take care of things once and for all, and let's get rid of them." Mm-hmm. Um, and Prometheus starts hopping through worlds, bringing Jamie along with him, and as they go. All the homeward bounders are amassing and becoming this great force. Yeah, and coming and, along. Yeah, in this big crazy pack. And they end up back at the Triangular Fortress, which they have tried to hide from Jamie and his... I, I feel weird calling him Prometheus because he isn't Prometheus, but, but he doesn't, he doesn't a have a name. So yeah. Prometheus. Um, but Jamie had marked it with one of the demon killing symbols that Constant taught him. Um, so they're able to find it. And then he finds Helen and the crowd of people and is like, get up here and use your gift to make the prophecy arm blade. That's going to cut through reality. <laughs> and she does. And they are terrified. And each of the homeward bounders is allowed to kill one of them. Yeah. So they're trying to, or if they break that rule and kill too many, then they can attack the homeward bounders. Yeah. But because they are this, like nebulous in between entity, mm-hmm. um, they're able to go after them. So they do this and they fight, and in the end, they are vanquished, and the remaining ones are shoved over the edge of reality. Yep. <laughs> so that seems bad <laughs> for them. Yeah. <laughs> Good for our heroes. And in the end, Jamie tells everyone, you know, I am. I am without a home. I can never go back to my home. And so I'm actually going to continue to be a homeward bounder because we need an anchor anyway. Mm -hmm. Someone who is going to keep moving and keep the world as they are and not allow for this concentration of what they call the real place um, to happen again so that they can Mm -hmm. never come back into power and just play with our very existences for Mm -hmm. their own entertainment and he promises that he'll visit everyone but then he sits down to write out his story and that is what we finish reading yeah and the last line of the book is you wouldn't believe how lonely it gets (laughs) almost gonna start crying um okay so that's what Homeward Bounders is about. Grace. <laughs> that was a very good summary. So let's dive in with a variation on old and new impressions. Mm. Uh, since, as I mentioned, neither of us have read this book before. Yeah. But I think because of our work to become Diana and Jonesian scholars, and by scholars, I just mean read her books a lot. <laughs> um I do find a lot of interesting parallels to her other books that I did read when I was young and the way that they made me feel. Mm. Um, And I, I was preoccupied with the question of, is this a good book for young readers Mm. while I was going through it? Um, And my ultimate conclusion is yes. And I actually really, I was 
talking to Madeline before we started recording about how I wish that I had read this yeah. when I was young um, because there's such a, there's like a, a sort of joy to the nihilism that is present throughout this book. Mm. And I, I mean, I mean, maybe joy is not the right word, but it feels liberating and yeah. I think as someone who um, has depression, mm. it actually feels like someone is putting words to a feeling in a really accurate way. And something like the decision to just keep moving yeah. and keep going forward when you know that you have this emptiness or mm -hmm. as Jamie is so wonderfully labels it the cold foot feeling yeah <laughs> feels the like he has a cold foot, foot inside him. yeah <laughs> I, I loved Jamie's descriptions I loved getting his first person narration and his little asides mm. um yeah and I think that would have provided a useful tool for me and it's uh, sometimes I find maybe often I find things that other people find disturbing or yeah maybe overly um nihilist uh I find them soothing and calming I find the film The Lighthouse to be very soothing which uh, most people don't agree with <laughs> I find the film Meet Somar to be very soothing oh yeah I, has, I felt so relaxed after watching the movie yeah which has concerned some of my loved ones but then there are others who totally get it so um, I know that we're not alone in that. And looking at reactions to this book, a lot of people were disturbed by it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people cite it as one of their least favorite Diana Wynne Jones books. It's interesting because it's such a good book. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's one of her best books. Yeah. It, I may, agree. it may be her best book. Yeah. At least that I have read. Um, I would, Compare it to Tale of Time City in a lot of ways. Yeah, but it definitely has Tale of Time City is messier. Mm -hmm. Whereas this just feels like it's so clear that it's very well put together. Diana had the entire concept so crystal clear yeah, before very well she out. went forward with it, and the way that we can go on this journey with Jamie that is so heartrending, but still like find so much humor in it um, and really care about every single person that you encounter. They're, they all feel so real. Like mm -hmm. I love that they all have their quirks and the way that they argue with each other. And it felt very human to me that they would be frustrated with Jamie because he was being too know-it-all about his approach to the bounds and then yeah. he would feel hurt by that and be like, but I've been doing this no, by myself. Was, I am figuring it out. It was very, very spot on for like adolescent friendships. Yeah. Um, yeah. So overall, I'm, I was pretty blown away by this book. Yeah. I read it in like one sitting pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to stop. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So, what are your just impressions? I guess it's not old and new. Yeah, Do you think you would have liked this when you were young? I think that I would have had a hard time with it. Um, I I had a hard, 
a hard time with higher concept stuff when I was younger um, because I would I would take things at face value and then not analyze mm-hmm. much deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I would have enjoyed it, but I, it also would have made me very sad because I wouldn't have understood it very well. Um, yeah. So I'm okay not having read this as a child, but I really, really enjoyed it as an adult. And it I really liked the, uh, you know, the main force that everyone is fighting against is entropy. And they um, are not, capital T, they, they don't really care about entropy. They are just chaotic. Mm-hmm. It, they're chaotic in the way that they're very selfish. Like they only want to do things for their own benefit, to play their own games, and they don't care about yeah. all of the souls wrapped up in those games. Um, but then meanwhile, those people's lives are being destroyed by the wars that they are creating for their own pleasure. Uh, so there's some really interesting yeah. forces at play. And the commentary about history repeating itself, yeah. too, mm-hmm. and the way that conflicts naturally move into similar conflicts. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, and and um, it, it reminded me of Howl's Moving Castle, actually, mm-hmm. in because there's interesting conflicts going on in that. Uh, yeah. And then there's the different realities that... Uh, Howl and compatriots can access through the door. Um, And it, it, I just really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was nonstop. You could feel the pieces sort of coming together. And I think that she did a really good job of starting out. You don't really know what time, what year it is. And that's very deliberate. Yeah. It's really uh, important. Yeah. And as like things are dropped throughout the story that you don't really think about their importance, but you do remember them. So then when they Mm -hmm. come back up later and you find about, find out about how important they are, you're like, ah, it's just, it's a very satisfying read. It all clicks together very nicely. Yeah. And Diana used Jamie as the narrator to such great effect because Mm -hmm. he also gives us foreshadowing at key moments that I think helps you keep all the pieces connected appropriately Mm -hmm. um, so that it doesn't, because like, as you (laughs) could tell from the summary and if you've read it, it was a very metaphysical book. Yeah. Um, it's something that would be easy to get lost in, mm-hmm. um, trying to keep all those threads consistent. But because Jamie has these little moments of like, I, I would know later <laughs> that that was the wrong thing to do, or mm-hmm. thank God I didn't say that to them right then. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can know a little bit of what you do need to be paying attention to. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so tight. Like everything is just kind of perfect. Yeah. The there's, construction of it is astounding. There's nothing superfluous. Everything has a, a purpose and a point. And to have something like just a short passage that shows that a hundred years have passed mm-hmm. while also not minimizing Jamie's weariness and everything Mm. that he has gained from that but but also not going into it in any depth yeah um just you know saying he continued on yep (laughs) the pacing of it is really impressive 
Yeah, especially the way that it hurls you right into the story from the very beginning. There's no there's no actual naive beginning because he's very clear from mm-hmm. the beginning of the book like it's me, I am this, you know, aged wanderer yeah. and I'm telling you this story. Yeah, here's it's a good here's how device. I started out. Oh my gosh, how how little I knew. You know, it's very yeah. It, it's very mature in that way, mm-hmm. which I appreciated. Yeah. And we, but while it's also um, very clearly told by a child, like the things that he focuses yeah. on and mentions and his um, frustrations with Helen, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which also makes it so sad because he is a very wise, very old child mm-hmm. and he will be for so long. And yeah. his, his commentary on the end about how sad he knew it would be to go visit Helen one day and she would be a very old a person, very old woman and yeah. he would still be a, a boy mm-hmm. um, is really difficult for him to think about. Um, a lot of uh, Tolkien elf vibes, I mm. think like yeah. the general nature of immortality. Yeah. The um, sadness of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I think it's a really, really incredible book. Yeah, I've, I can't believe that it doesn't have more renown and accolades because it's, it's, it's really incredible. I wish I would have read books like this in school instead of like East of Eden. (laughs) We've been dissing Steinbeck so much lately. I don't like Steinbeck. Um, I'm so confused as to why it's out of print in the United States. Um, I feel like this isn't one of her books that I had ever really heard about. I didn't know this book existed. Until listener Ramsey, thank you again, um, recommended it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the thing is, so the Crestomancy series, um, you haven't read all of it, right? No, Um, I haven't. That is like an extended teasing out of a similar type of story where there's someone who's responsible for going between worlds, mm-hmm. um, taking care of things in whatever way. I mean, Crest Nancy is an extremely different character from Jamie, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of similar concepts there. But that's done over the course of, what, five books? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Um And this was just, I I couldn't believe how much she was able to say with every sentence. Yeah. Um, It's so, so impressive. (laughs) Just, uh, yeah, blown away by uh, Diana Wynne Jones's craft, as always. Yeah, once again. uh, Here we are again. (laughs) We love Diana Wynne Jones. And we always end up just marveling that she isn't, universally known as one of the fantasy greats um yeah yeah which is garbage but (laughs) i I do also feel like there has been a little bit of a diana Wynne jones renaissance i feel like people are talking about her more and her work more we're talking about hey we're here (laughs) there's a diana Wynne jones uh convention that takes place every few years in the uk uh if anyone wants to you know pay for us to go to that that would be awesome (laughs) Want to make our lives? Um, yeah, and I'm I'm just, I'm always like so overjoyed to just be spending any time with her work. Mm. I can't believe that 
so I've never read any of her books that have first person perspective before. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. And I loved it. She's so good at writing in characters voices yeah. and establishing very different voices within the same book. Like, Think about the fact that, you know, the three main characters in this for most of it are they're all like adolescents or pre-adolescents. It's two boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. Um, But then each of them has such a, you know, expanding gem of a personality. Yeah, they're very they're all full characters, multifaceted and these little things like um, Joris always having uh, something in his coat that or his jacket and that not will be wanting useful. to cover up his demon hunting uniform because he takes so much pride in it. Yeah. Um, Helen's hair is like one of the weirdest character details I've ever read, and I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, I'm obsessed the with the sacred it. face that Jamie starts calling her. I yeah no I absolutely love it, and also several of the main characters are people of color. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're it's, I can't like come up with racial, uh, parallels because they're all from different worlds, right. but, but they have darker skin. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, which is also awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I would read an entire series about these characters, but also it's yeah. wrapped up so perfectly that there shouldn't be any other books about them. No, there um, will be. And Jamie is, yeah, my new, you know, sad wizard boy inspiration. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> wow. It reminds me, here's the Zelda reference. Oh. It reminds me of Ocarina of Time a mm-hmm. little bit because <laughs> spoilers for Ocarina of Time. <laughs> 25 plus year old game. Um, at the end, after you beat... Ganondorf and then Ganon, Zelda sends you back to the Kokiri Forest to live as a child. And if you tie Majora's Mask in and think of it as part of the actual timeline, which it isn't, it's a creepy alternate reality game. But if you do, as I like to, it means that Link immediately goes into a probably more disturbing and intense experience than everything that he did yeah. And um, all the many years that passed of him, like going back and forth between adulthood <laughs> and childhood, not green <laughs> getting an earring, losing an earring. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, I, I agree. I did think about that. I also, um, so, I mean, we make recommendations sometimes based on whatever it is that we read. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I, I would say if you like Homeward Bounders, um, there is a story that I really love that's on the Reddit No Sleep. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It's called The Left Right Game. Um, I think No Sleep is locked right now. Oh, really? They they locked the subreddit to protest um, people constantly stealing their content. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this story is eerily similar to Homeward Bounders in a lot of ways. I'm sure that or I don't know, maybe not, but, uh, I just, I, I feel like, yeah, it's an exploration of the same theme. Um, and I won't really say much about it cause I don't want to give anything away. It is a horror story. Um, so if you're not into horror, um, it might be too much. Uh, and it's not, I mean, it's not amazingly written, but the ideas are mm. so good and it's the length of a novel. 
Um, it's, it's very long, uh, but you are gripped (laughs) the entire time. Um, I also have to say that Diana Wynne Jones taking on this concept that, you know, it's like a stereotypical stoner question. Like, what if this is all just a game and there's some figures rolling the dice? It would be so easy to make missteps and have it feel really cliched and just stupid. Mm -hmm. And instead... And she totally just... Slam dunks. I feel it. like Homeward Bounders is my new religion. To be <laughs> honest. And like I said, there's yeah, there's such a nihilistic bent throughout the whole book because Jamie has to lose hope. Yeah, he has to stop. Everybody's caring. like, you have to lose hope. <laughs> it's so wild. Yeah, it's, like I said, the opposite of what every yeah. YA fantasy journey right. book. They're is all about. just like dispense with hope and then you can truly be free exactly like feelings are bad just let them go just exist (laughs) as an empty shell yep um and that that's just yeah as i said it's mind-blowing but i'm very impressed by it um yeah and it's so deftly handled the book never felt predictable or cliched in no. any way. Yeah, I did um, not know what was going to happen <laughs> at I, any I, point. I guess it's probably sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Which, yeah, we do dabble in from time to time. Um, but everything just flows so naturally that, I don't know, you don't get hung up and even questioning what it is that's happening. You're no. just like, I'm here I'm for this. Like, okay. I, here's something I've never done before. Yeah. Also, Diana Wynne Jones must have played D and D. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, she would be uh, the best DM of all time. Absolutely. Can you imagine? (sighs) (laughs) I played Diana Wynne Jones D and D. If I ever uh, actually managed, she made campaigns. Right. If I ever actually managed to do a campaign again, I'm definitely going to just plagiarize Diana. We should just do Homeward Bounders. Yeah. Right. Well, with less war. Yeah. Yeah. Not interested in that. Yeah. Um, this also feels like her magnum opus in some ways because it crystallizes the things that she's interested in exploring in her fantasy. Um, worlds being connected to one another, variations on our own time and historical events, mm-hmm. um, children who don't have any particular special ability being able to kind of fumble through and figure things yeah. out. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Like I mentioned, it did remind me quite a bit of Tale of Time City, which we have an episode on. We we have a lot of Diana Wynne Jones episodes, so you can just check them out. Check them all out. We're on Butter um, Pies go forever. <laughs> um, speaking of Butter Pies, I think that's a perfect segue into Pretend Food. Pretend Food. And uh, Jamie, who has never eaten a banana before, experiencing them for the first time. Diane Wynne Jones does pretend food extremely well. Mm-hmm. We know this. We, as we mentioned, the butter pie of it all. Send us butter pies. <laughs> Which I pretty much never stop thinking about. Powers that be. Um, I... There's so many opportunities for fun food in this book, too, because they're constantly entering new cuisines and Mm -hmm. societies. Um, And the sustenance ranges from 
being from Jamie in his first world with the cattle herders who just eat steak and milk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like Clady Ba's experience Clady Ba, yeah. from Wolf Tower. From Wolf Tower um, to Crema de Lima. Crema de Lima, yeah, the like <laughs> mysterious happy drink. Yeah, it sounded just like a mimosa <laughs> that everyone drank from birth. Maybe all the with time. a low grade psychedelic. I remember yeah. when he said, like, the people who are older and had been drinking cream of Dilly with their whole lives, like, sometimes saw snakes where there weren't snakes. <laughs> such a good line where he was like, yeah, they didn't take kindly to Helen having her snake with her because uh, they were already seeing too already many snakes. Seeing some snakes <laughs> around the periphery, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. yeah, and that is, uh, that's a lot of crema de lima. <laughs> pretty excessive i also love that they have their last drink before they go and jamie has a line about how it was kind of fun to just be drunk for a month yeah yeah sounds uh not the worst and he and helen have a job as as the front and back (laughs) half of a horse at like some kind of carnival show and they're always fighting with each other and the crowd loves the fights i mean truly i'd love to see that show just like two children in a horse costume yelling at each other (laughs) (laughs) shut up and take my money Uh, i would watch that yeah um there are also uh there's the amazing vegetarian feast that they have with the uh we think they're cannibals. I mean, they're definitely going to sacrifice them in yeah. some way with a hatchet. Yeah. Uh, we don't know if they're going to be eating them afterwards. Right. <laughs> um, but they do attempt to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And the vegetarian feast where Jamie just keeps eating and eating. Yes. So Jamie is he's pretty much always hungry because he's constantly being put into worlds where he doesn't have money. He doesn't have resources. He doesn't have friends. Um, so it can be really tough for him to get sustenance. And since they technically don't need to eat, I'm assuming that he probably goes long amounts of time without when it's just not possible because he doesn't have to make that a priority. He's not going to starve to death. Um, so Jamie treats the, what turns out to be the first course, like the entire event. (laughs) More and more food just keeps coming out to the point that he feels like he's going to die. Um, But I enjoyed uh, those descriptions a lot. Um, I'm going to read a little excerpt from it. Everyone smiled and cheered and umarad, that's their language, (laughs) and nodded. And more and more food came in, smoking brass buckets of bean hash, piles of rice, bits of stuff wrapped in leaves with hot sauce poured on top pancakes and bread cakes and fruity savory pies and 20 kinds of salad and piles of every kind of fruit I'd seen in the jungle. It was all delicious. The only drawback was that it was all vegetarian stuff. I do like a bit of meat myself. (laughs) Another moment was just fun to have a 12 year old boy as your narrator who's also wise beyond his time and age. Um, and the next course is, uh, things on sticks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the last course is puddings. <laughs> oh, I want pudding. Sounds like a good feast. I could go for a vegetarian three course feast. Um, at the creamy de lima, I also thought of it as like a uh, mango lassi, which oh, yeah. a, a good mango lassi is a really incredible thing. Um, and, uh, that's kind of what I imagined they were drinking. We did have fun in that world. We called it Crema de Lima when we talked about it afterwards because of the drink that made everyone so happy there. 
It was like a sort of creamy orange juice. It never made you really drunk, just happy and bubbly. We drank it, of course. Everyone did there from babies. You could not drink it. They forced it on you. I think the them playing old crema de lima thought it would be funny to have everyone a little drunk all the time. Being a bit tanked up all the time, I started being as rude to Helen as she was to me. (laughs) Turned out to be the right way to treat her. (laughs) So weird. Um, Yeah, so I would definitely take some crema de lima if anyone's offering. Sounds great. Um, (laughs) Why are you saying it like that? I was just, you know, making a little bit of fun of myself wanting to be drunk all the time. Okay. Um, I also love the sound of the sandwiches that um, are in the shop that Jamie goes into. Uh, This is when they first show up in his own home world before Mm -hmm. they meet Adam. Um, And there are crisp round rolls with ham and lettuce in them that smell so good that Jamie says, as soon as I got in there, I was carried away with misery (laughs) because they're also the similar, similar roles to what his family sold in their grocery. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And he has a memory of taking the rolls with cheese to school for lunch and it makes him have cold foot feeling. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I appreciated the more normal food as well. Um, and the last passage that I bookmarked is probably, yeah, I mean, I guess we also just need to like give some, uh, respect to that cool stream water that Jamie gives to Prometheus and that also helps him quench his horrible thirst after he's been a sea with the flying Dutchman and his crew for who who knows how long. Who don't eat, very sad, and who give Jamie like some kind of like whiskey or something like that. Yeah, they try to give him spirits to revive him, but that seems like like that's gross. only (laughs) sustenance that they have. Um, And we mentioned it earlier in the episode, but when Jamie and Prometheus get fruit from the trees around his house and they sit as the valley gets brighter and more real because there's someone back there who's thinking about it and remembering it. And Mm -hmm. it becomes what Jamie says, the most beautiful place he's ever seen is so glorious. And it really made me want a big pile of fresh fruit. Yeah. Sounded really nice. Just some fruit and water. Sometimes that's all you need. (laughs) And I had a migraine last night. So I always love fresh fruit fruit after a migraine. Yeah. No, totally. So good. Yeah. Any other food that comes to mind? That is everything I was thinking of. I love her food so much. Yeah, really, really much. Great (laughs) pretend food. Let's name our badass ladies and rate them. Okay. You want to go first? Yeah. My badass lady is Vanessa, um, and I rate her a demon hunting queen (laughs) she is a demon hunting queen yeah she falls in love um which is cool uh i love that costume is very small (laughs) in contrast to everything that joris has said about well and but it says when he first appears like that joris was confused by the height difference as if it like joris didn't realize or maybe he had just been building him up so big in his mind all along like, especially if he knew him from the time he was younger or like, yeah. you know, and then some perspective, he was like, oh, right. You're actually like average height. 
or maybe shorter Actually than short, height. it sounds yeah. like, because they say that he is an inch shorter than Joris, yeah. who isn't fully grown, I don't mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really liked Vanessa's character, and I'm glad she gets to... Uh, not live with her horrible brother anymore. Yeah, Adam is not my favorite. Um, and she is uh, not going to be a doctor anymore, probably. <laughs> I'm assuming since she'll be she'll be demon hunting and the like. But uh, as she says at one point, you know, she's studying to be a doctor, but there's so many other parts of her that aren't getting used. So what would happen if she explored one of those parts? And so now she gets to exactly. Okay, well, now I'm just talking about your badass lady. Um, mine is Helen. Uh, I'll give her a full name to show her the respect she deserves, which is Helen Harris Ukara. Um, as I said earlier, one of one of my favorite like weirdo characters I've encountered in yeah. fantasy. <laughs> she reminds me a lot of just like your energy as a child. Oh, that makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, and I love that the hiding behind the hair is, I think, kind of a confidence thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And And it's a safety thing. Yeah, totally. But Jamie has a line where he says, like, he realized later that that was all it was, just that she liked to be a little hidden away. Um, There wasn't any, yeah, great secret, although the recurring lines about her holy face, her sacred face. Her sacred face. So I love amazing. Them. Yeah. Um, and it's just the physicality of her hooking her hair curtain away when she's trying to look at something. Yeah. Look someone in the eye. Yeah. Um, and Helen has had a, she had a rough time of it. Um, her family tried to throw her outside of their fortress as a baby because she didn't have an arm. Um, and in the end she is like this, prophecy to hugely important figure mm-hmm. who makes it possible for them to end the game. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that she um, was able to like have this academic prowess and mm-hmm. be able to grow up in the temple and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, she is really persistent. Um, mm-hmm. She lets her, uh, her bad moods kind of encompass her like little clouds. And uh, sometimes I'm all for that. Yeah. <laughs> and she's cheered up sometimes by uh, creepy crawlies, um, which I also like, which yeah. I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't let Jamie get too big for his britches. Yeah. Even when he's feeling like I'm the expert of the bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, I love Helen. I truly adore as Jamie and Helen, little trio um i'd I'd love to just hang out with them and explore a bit it'd be pretty cool joris is annoying kind of but but he's (laughs) he calms down at the end he's he's clutch to have in the party yeah yeah i really want to make a helen character now and she literally says i'm a cleric yes Um, yeah she tells her class (laughs) she says like i'm a cleric and a magic user and a magic user Yeah. yeah which i absolutely loved um yeah she's she even with some of her confidence things that she's figuring out, she's very self-assured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my rating for Helen is, <laughs> I just have to call out the perfection of her new hairstyle being a ponytail <laughs> for almost all of her hair with a single thick strand still coming down <laughs> the middle of her face. I love it. My rating is that hairstyle. That's perfect. I, Great hairstyle. I don't know why that's not what we're all doing. Um, yeah. Maybe it will be one day. 
maybe she's ahead of the times. She is, you know, from a different world. So yeah, just prescient about these types of things. Yeah. So I think that's everything for the Homeward Bounders. Um, again, thank you, Ramsey, for recommending this. Yeah. This was so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd like to request a book for us to cover, you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. You can go on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at dragonbabiespod. And on Instagram, at dragonbabiespodcast. Um, And like we mentioned, if you enjoyed this book and this episode, we have uh, many other Diana Wynne Jones episodes. Um, I also wanted to mention this reminded me a lot of Fire and Hemlock. Um, I think they're in a similar Uh, sort of vein, similar vibes (laughs) between the two. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's that's where I'd recommend starting. Mm -hmm. Um, We will now announce the next book we're going to be covering. Uh, which is actually an anthology. It's the first time we've done this. Um, it is called The Green Man. It is a YA anthology from the mid-aughts, um, early mid-aughts, that is uh, a bunch of stories all about the myth of the green man and the mystical forest. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, if you'd like to check that out before the episode get to it it's really good i'm excited i have a lot to say um thank you so much for listening as always we really appreciate all of you we do and we love connecting with you on these amazing things we like to call why a fantasy mm. books i'm grace and i'm madeline until next time goodbye <laughs>